Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this week's episode. I was joined by Matt this week. Had the immense pleasure of sitting down with uh, Bitcoin Core contributor Andrew Chow. We talked a lot about partially signed Bitcoin transactions, um, uh, coin joining, coin selection, uh, video games, a bunch of other stuff. Andrew is uh, an incredibly talented and young mind. Fucking young guns crushing it these days. Um, this was an incredible episode. Went for a while. I think we almost went two hours on this one. Um, so I highly recommend you stick through it. We cover a lot towards the end. We talk about coin selection and dust. It's uh, a fascinating um, problem. Problem. A fascinating, uh, I want to say problem. Um, maybe it's a problem in some people's minds. What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, a fascinating variable we all have to, to take into consideration. So I uh, I think you guys are going to like this one. Um, again, Andrew's incredibly bright and doing some incredible things. For you freaks that don't know, he is the creator, uh, the creator, inventor, I don't know. He created the uh, PSBT standard, which a lot of the wallets are now using to, to build their um, partially signed Bitcoin transaction software so that they can communicate between each other. Um, we go through why this is important and how. Um, it's been accomplished up to this point and what, what may be um, uh, enabled by this moving forward. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by the Cash App. You freaks already know all about them. Cash App is the simplest way to send and save money. You already know. They're letting you stack slivers of stonks now if you want to. We're changing it from shares to stonks. It's just too easy to say. I, I, the shares, uh, it's too much to think stocks is just right on the top of my mind all right cash app investing is here unlike investing tools that only let you buy entire shares of stocks cash app lets you instantly invest as little or as much as you want this way when your favorite company stock is just a little too expensive you can still own a piece with as little as one dollar okay you can buy slivers of stocks now you don't have to the option is there i'm not saying go buy stocks on the cash app if you so please the option is there you can still stack sats send sats receive sats stack more sats on the app incredible bitcoin buying experience is still there as well um, and because your cash app is directly connected to your bank account you don't have to wait four to five days sorry excuse me you don't have to wait i want porky to pig there on you guys you don't have to wait four to five days um, for inbound transfers you can start investing today uh, broker servers are provided by cash app investing a subsidiary of square and member sipc and as always as always Use the code STACKINGSATS when you sign up. That's one word, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10, and Cash App is going to send $10, a 1,000 pennies to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. <coughs> Download the Cash App from the App Store or Google Play Store today and enjoy this episode with Andrew Chow. I know I certainly did. Okay. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here, fresh off a recording of Rabbit Hole Recap. We cut that one short because we have a very special guest. I say we, Matt Odell is with me. Matt, what's up? Cheers, guys. We are sitting down with Andrew Chow, engineer at Blockstream, and somebody I'm uh, very excited to sit down and talk about, uh, talk about, talk with about partially signed Bitcoin transactions, a big topic on the podcast uh, in the last couple of weeks. But before we get into PSBTs, Andrew... Why don't you just give us a little 
uh, intro to yourself, how you got into Bitcoin, and what drew you to, to PSBT in particular. Yeah. So I'm Andrew. Uh, I work on Bitcoin Core, and I'm engineer at Blockstream. Uh, I've been uh, working on this since I was in high school, like five years ago. <laughs> uh, where that, and that's where a couple of friends of mine in high school introduced me to Bitcoin, because uh, they knew I was interested in technology and stuff. So, you know, I looked at it, uh, didn't have money to buy that much Bitcoin, and the technology was far more interesting. So, what is that, 2014, what was the state of Bitcoin like at that point? I see you're a moderator on Bitcoin Stack Exchange and BitcoinTalk.org. Is that where you're getting most of your information at that yeah, point? Yeah, so at that time, uh, I was really active on Bitcoin Talk. Uh, I, was, I didn't get onto Bitcoin Stack Exchange until fairly recently. But on Bitcoin Talk, um, this is actually how I got into development. I was hanging around in the development section and the tech support section. And occasionally you get someone that comes in with like some weird issue that looks like it could be a bug. And, you know, Bitcoin's open source and I don't want to ask other people for help. Uh, so I go digging through the source and I'm like, oh, well, that's a bug and it looks like I can fix it. So then that's how I got my first couple of pull requests open. Just like people report users do dumb things and they tell people about the issues they have and you can find bugs that way. Do you remember the first couple particular issues that you dealt Not with? At all. No. no. <laughs> I'm sure you can find uh, you can definitely find them just looking through my contributions on GitHub. They're they're somewhere yeah. deep, deep in there. A lot of a lot of contributions. Yeah. At, well, eh, before we get into PSPT. <laughs> uh what's it like approaching Bitcoin Core and like making your first pull request were you nervous? Um um, so I'd been on the IRC channel for just listening and watching how things go. Uh, I started like watching the meeting, the IRC meetings, and generally asking a few questions, talking to the developers. So by the time I got around to making a pull request, uh, it felt like it didn't feel like a completely new thing to me, although contributing was still new. I think I'd, I had made a few issues, just some other bugs I ran into also. Um, but yeah, it's the first time you do it. It is very daunting because like, oh, you're you're talking to Peter Walla and Greg Maxwell, and these are important people, and it's very scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like you've garnered their respect pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so let's jump right into it. the way I found you was a presentation that you gave at the San Francisco Bit Devs Meetup, mm-hmm. I believe in the beginning of the summer. That was in, in May. So the actual presentation was in it was released in May 17, yeah. I think, or 2018, something like that. I think it was 2018. And uh there was an issue with the recording or something that it got delayed for a while um before it got released. Yes. So I I found it when it was eventually released, I believe in May. Um but at the time you gave the presentation whether it was 2017, 2018, 2018 yeah. uh it seemed like a, a a nebulous idea that had not been implemented yet. And since the standard has been uh, implemented and adopted by uh, many hardware and software producers, and um, it seems that it's getting quick adoption. Mm-hmm. So I guess the good best place to start is what was the problem before you could partially sign a Bitcoin transaction before P- PSBT. Um, but yeah. now there's a standard that makes it easier, correct? So uh, this actually started in 2017. That's when I wrote the first drafts of the standard um 
So in 2017, I was uh, still in college, and I had, I was interning at Blockstream over the summer. <coughs> and while I was at Blockstream, um, I got a hardware wallet. And naturally, being a core contributor, working at a company that does a lot of things with core, I wanted to use my hardware wallet with core, but I couldn't. Uh, so, you know, I did this normal, like, stopgap measure of run your own Electrum server and use Electrum, but that's... Right. annoying and who's going to do that if they want to like only hardcore people like me are going to run Electrum X. It's a pain in the ass. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, for it's, hardcore people. It's, it's annoying. Uh, it takes a lot of disk space and it's, it's, and like Electrum doesn't always do the best job of uh, making sure information doesn't leak to the other servers. So um, when I was interning at Blockstream, I had, I was just talking to Peter one day uh about how we could get hardware wallets into Bitcoin Core. And he pointed me to a few issues and we were talking and we eventually landed on, well, not eventually, but pretty quickly, uh, came up with basically we needed some software that does all the talking to the hardware wallet and some way to call out to and talk to that software. Well, that software is what is now called HWI. Uh, it's a project I've been working on a lot recently. and the way to talk to it is PSPT. So we just wanted one simple thing that contained all the transaction information that we could dump on a command line and send it to send to HWI or something else. Yeah. So before HWI and um, PSBT, we basically had babble between the different yeah. software and hardware projects, correct? Yeah. So one of the main issues I had run into when I was, uh, working with Core and the Electrum wallet was that Core and Electrum use like they have a they had a partially signed transaction format that wasn't well specified and was like half compatible with each other. Um, if you took the straight hex out of Core and gave it to Electrum, it would reject it. If you took it from Electrum and gave it to Core, it would also reject it. If you like spliced a few things in and added a couple bytes here and there and removed some bytes here and there, you could get it to work. It's just annoying. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, this really became a problem actually when Bcash forked off. Why is that? Because I needed to move my coins. <laughs> and there's no way I'm running their software. So uh, I had to modify Electrum's format to work with a Bitcoin ABC node so I could broadcast it and like track, get the input and stuff. Yeah. And why are partially signed transactions important or useful in the first place? So, well, they contain all of the information you need to complete the transaction. Uh, there's fields for the signature for any scripts that you need and fields for the um, UTXOs and the keys and their derivation paths. So one of the, since PSPT was initially designed with hardware wallets in mind, one of the things that you need to do for a hardware wallet is to tell it the derivation path for the key to sign with. And so PSPT has a field for that. And since hardware wallets aren't connected to the blockchain, you also need to give it the UTXO so it knows how to sign because the UTXO is included in the uh, signed data. And then in meet space, why would somebody want to conduct and then, yeah, so construct a transaction in this fashion? Uh, PSPT, the, the other benefit is that it's 
one thing, one string that you can copy and paste around. So uh, you can move it to another, uh, you can create one on one software and then copy it to another one and it should still work if they both support it. One of the issues that Core had was it its transaction format didn't contain all the necessary information that you needed to sign it. You had to like pass in, you had to pass in a JSON array of JSON objects, which requires special escaping if you're using like bash. It's just generally annoying to use. Uh, and it was separate things and you have to know what you're doing. So PSPT puts it all together in one thing that for a normal user, you don't really need to know what's inside of it. It just has everything. Yeah, it's got a standard that works. Yeah, so it's also it's also a well-defined standard. Why which, do you say that? Uh, because none of the other transaction formats were well-defined <laughs> or standards. So what do you mean by well-defined? Like the, if you read the BIP, it tells you like exactly what where the bytes go and what you're supposed to put in the PSBT. Um, I had to, Electrum had a similar-ish thing where they were using keys. Uh, Electrum did everything based on keys, which doesn't generalize well to scripts. Uh, but that one, I had a hard time figuring out how it worked and I had to like reverse engineer the source code to, to figure that out. Uh, but PSBT, you don't really have to do that. It's specified in the BIP, um, and if it isn't, that's a bug, <laughs> and I'll fix it. And before uh, before this well-defined standard existed, uh, was the uh, non-existence of this standard holding people back from building stuff? Like, uh, now that there is a standard, what does this enable? Um, well, it enables our original goal of getting hardware walls to work with Core. <laughs> that's, that's at least one thing it does. I'm not sure about... I guess uh, people have been using it for other stuff, um, but those kind of like other things that you could use PSPT with weren't necessarily on my radar when I designed it. What are some examples of that? Uh, well, a lot of people want to use it for multisig now, <laughs> which it makes a lot of sense with multisig. Yeah, right? I guess it does. Uh, that was something I had thought of briefly uh, before I went back to working on it for hardware wallets first. Um, I guess, yeah, multisig is something that's mentioned in the BIP. Yeah. That's something you can do. Because uh, Shores Provost just came out with the nth key, right? And that's... Yeah, that uses PSP, PSP for multisig specifically, mm -hmm. correct? Mm hmm Yeah. Um, although, now that people are using it for multisig or investigating using it for multisig, there have been a few issues that came up. Like, uh, there's some privacy issues. Like, you'll leak your derivation path if you care. Might be, might be some important information. Might, might not be. It's not particularly private, but uh, you try. You want to try to expose as little information as possible to your cosigners. Mm -hmm. So you leak your derivation path if you don't drain the wallet when you move uh, a UTXO, and then somebody could use that to attack whatever's well, left. Or with your derivation path, you can. For, for one key, you get the derivation path for it. You can infer what the derivation paths of, like, the other keys in your wallet After are. Our, yeah. Right? Um, <clears throat> we have a... There's a there's a way you can mask it. Like, just give half the derivation path. <laughs> but that requires some... The wallet software to be able to handle that. Yeah. At least your wallet software. Yeah. 
Basically, you're leaking the derivation path to the, anyone who sees the PSBT, whether that's a cosigner or if someone intercepts the PSBT or something. Yeah, right? yeah. basically. There is the uh, this shouldn't happen risk of someone stealing your master private key by doing the whole uh, unhardened thing with the child private key. With the So you can take the child private key with the parent public key and then recover the parent private key if you use unhardened BIP32 derivation. That, okay. that, that's a thing that can happen. So you use an HD wallet, you get a pub key, then you make a private key from that. Yeah. You, you make it, you derive a child key. Mm-hmm. If you, for some reason, give the child key to someone else, which you really shouldn't do, and they also get that parent XPUB, they can now derive the parent private, private key, key and now derive the rest of your child keys, which is a problem. But that's only for unhardened derivation. I mean, the private key is the biggest problem, right? Yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and PSPT, you can include an XPUB in it and the derivation paths. So if you had given one of your cosigners a private key for some reason, and then you give them an XPUB for them to sign, or you give them a PSPT for them to sign, they now get the XPUB and they can check the derivation path to see if it's unhardened. And now they can try to reverse out that that a uh, parent private key it's and that xpub by itself is the xpub by itself is perfectly safe except for privacy yeah except for privacy it could be a it's, an issue privacy. it's just yeah. fascinating the uh the externalities you have to take into consideration yeah. when building this stuff like how how do you approach this with the security first mindset mm-hmm. what uh what are you thinking first yeah so the the main thing though is uh this requires someone to give someone else a private key which is something that you know, everyone just says, don't, don't give people your private keys. <laughs> like, why are your private keys going to someone else anyways? So it's mostly, uh, I consider it to mostly be a non-issue. Uh, but if someone has a use case for giving their private keys to someone, they, they should, they need to consider it. Be aware. Be aware. <laughs> um, so what, uh, what's, I, I know you said there's use cases popping up that, uh, you didn't expect, but what's, what surprised you the most and, and what do you expect to happen moving forward? Like, is it now that it's a standard, are you, are you moving on and working on something else or is the standard have to be cleaned up and iterated on moving forward? Um, the standard is still growing, still changing. I mean, like the base format is basically locked in because multiple software are using it now, but uh, people have been coming up with, other fields to add, other things that you want to consider. So like the XPUB thing was recently added because uh, people wanted to be able to do change detection, which I had completely forgotten about when I (laughs) wrote PSPT. Uh, But for a hardware wallet, they want to hide the change output because that confuses people. Uh, So they need some way to detect change. And that was specifically for multi-sigs so they can use the XPUB to derive the change address and then check if any of the outputs use that. Um, yeah, the main use case I've seen so far has been uh, multi-sig. I think there's been a proposal for like some some commitment something. There's a there's a PR for that somewhere. And do uh, any? <laughs> I haven't really thought about it. 
I don't want to say looming, but do any of the potential uh, changes to Bitcoin Core in the future, like its Schnorr signatures or Taproot, affect PSPT in any way? They all get new fields. Okay. Um, I guess I will need to re- rename the signature field to partial ECDSA signature because uh, I told, um, I guess it's Peter uh, who's been working on Taproot. I told him that, well, we discussed it too, that uh, Taproot should just get its own set of fields because it doesn't make sense to try to shoehorn them into the existing ones. I mean, we've got so many bytes available, so it doesn't really matter if we just add a few few more fields for a taproot. Okay. And it's then it's completely unambiguous as to what what everything is. And you, there's no like guessing, like, is this signature a snore signature or an ECDSA signature? Yeah. It's fascinating, right? Because Satoshi really didn't create these standards in the beginning. And yeah. You have all these uh, disparate software projects building on top of Bitcoin, just building tools for themselves. And uh, it's one of the biggest worries that you create too much tech debt, that it's hard to go back. And you think this is catching this at this particular juncture of Bitcoin's life cycle is important. Mm-hmm. Catching, like creating a standard around this uh, is imperative moving forward. Yeah, I, th- I think Could so. it have gotten to a point where we were too far gone and was there's too much babble? Well, I think that's unlikely. Or, well, I mean, we're kind of already there <laughs> to start with, but like, we're pulling it back in. Yeah, right? it's like like we were already at a point where, when I when I started working on PSBT, we had three different formats I knew of. There was Core, Electrum, and Armory actually had its own thing too, because Armory is specifically designed for the air gap model, so they uh, wrote their own standard, and we had these three things, but. Uh, and then every hardware wallet manufacturer had their own thing in their APIs. It was already pretty confusing. Uh, but having PSBT is kind of bringing it all, like everyone's shifting to using that. So I don't think the timing really mattered. Uh, it just, it just happened to be convenient. Was, you had to find <laughs> out that we needed it, right? Or yeah. yeah. It's, it like, was like such a big improvement that it's just like at any point it would have been helpful. Yeah. And it's, Exactly. And it's also one of those things like, well, why didn't someone bother to do this before? (laughs) It does turn out that someone did. Uh, It's one of the very first BIPs. BIP 10 specifies a format that is similar to PSBT, uh, but it was withdrawn. Why was I don't know. You know? (laughs) You can can look it up. uh, It was written by the Armory uh, developer in... 2012 i think so pretty early um and it doesn't quite do everything it's not as extendable as psbt but uh, i think i find it's interesting that someone had the idea before but no one wanted to use it yeah (laughs) timing maybe it was the time maybe Maybe timing is everything you know uh just had to wait for bitcoin to mature to the point that there were there were competing well not standards but like multiple wallets that wanted to talk to each other yeah yeah and that and yeah, it's a crazy thing about Bitcoin Core too, because you have like uh, Russ Yanovsky, uh, commonly uh, misunderstood as Ryan of Sky. Uh, <laughs> It'll always be Ryan of Sky. <laughs> in my mind. But he's doing like some meticulous work to separate the node uh, and the wallet GUI, yeah. which is like a huge tech debt that once uh, that endeavor is is finished, it seems like it gives you guys uh, core contributors a lot of. Uh, open space to sort of work on more interesting mm-hmm. stuff. And I've been um, the other part 
the other stuff I'm working on for Core is the descriptor wallets, which is which is a prerequisite for having hardware wallet integration into Core. And a big part of this has been to take all of the things in the wallet that are uh, we basically call it script pub key management and put it into encapsulate that into its own object where if we want to change out what the script pub keys are and what's signing we just swap out that object so right now we have everything that currently exists we just call it the legacy script pub key manager and I just copied all the all the code into that for now but in uh, an upcoming change is to introduce a descriptor script pub key manager which uses the output descriptors that Peter designed uh, that specify all the the script pub keys that we're using in that wallet and then Shores provost has the um, has another change which introduces a hardware wallet script pub key manager and that will deal with the hardware wallets oh shit so yeah this uh this change i'm making to encapsulate all the wallet stuff allows us to even further expand the wallet to do more and more things and more arbitrary things too yeah i saw you were talking about coin selection recently Um, yeah coin selections is a completely different can of worms that no one wants to touch (laughs) (laughs) uh i don't know apparently i'm the expert on coin selection now (laughs) Because I'm the last person who really modified it. It seems like this helped. But it's not. It's not really related to. Um, it seems like that would help. Stuff. No. Uh. No, not really. Oh. It's a uh, because it doesn't deal with keys. Okay. Or script pub keys. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. So, uh, with our script pub key manager thing, the idea is that we have, um, we have the script pub key manager that tells the wallet to watch for these script pub keys and the wallet will handle all the transactions and watching for those script pub keys. And then when we want to sign a transaction, it gets passed to the script pub key manager, which does all the signing and whatever stuff behind the scenes to spit out a working transaction. So that could be, so like right now we, we just have our bag of keys thing, mm-hmm. but later that'll be a hardware wallet. It'll, it'll be, it'll just pass off that transaction to a hardware wallet and Bitcoin Core's wallet doesn't really need to know about that. It's kind of a black box. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So this lets us expand to do a whole lot more things. Like we'll get the hardware wallet. Once we get descriptors uh, and mini script, the wallet will now be able to do arbitrary scripts and, you know, whatever, whatever we want. (laughs) (laughs) It'll make multi-sig in core wallet so much easier because right now it's kind of a pain. Well, this is, is this a testament to the conservative nature of Bitcoin Core and working on these hard projects over a long period of time instead of trying to throw them all in at once? And um, I'm not sure I would call it conservative. I think it's mostly developer laziness. What do you mean by that? Well, I dropped a ginormous PR to do the change <laughs> and no one wanted to review it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so... Uh, um, is that is it... That nobody wanted to review it, or there well, weren't enough people scary. to review it. It looks scary. Overworked, right? And like, you have a billion other PRs to review. This one would take you at least like multiple weeks of dedicated time just to work through the commits in general. And uh, you know, a large PR like that, no one wants to review it. You have to break it down into smaller chunks for people to smaller, easily digestible 
pieces for people to go to go through and that takes a lot more time a lot more prs a lot more comments now and just slowly well takes time i think this is a a perfect candidate for john newberry's pr review club maybe the month of february we can get on (laughs) this john Uh, i think they've actually already covered the prs for so you know i had the the one okay it was like 72 commits it was really big (laughs) (laughs) um it got split into like seven prs uh and each one has been taking quite a while. We're down to the last one, finally, for this, for the split, just to get the script pubkey manager split. We're down to the last PR. Then we'll get to descriptor wallets, which is another twenty or so commits on top of that. As uh, a, as an engineer, what's the hardest part of this? Mentally framing it before you write the code, writing the code, or reviewing. Um, uh, I think it's really the reviewing, uh, and the context switching. So you know, I write the code, open a PR. And then people have to go review it. Well, what am I going to do in the meantime? I'm going to go do something else. Uh, lately, I've been working on fixing up, uh, working on the descriptor wallet itself, the descriptor wallet PR itself, or HWI, or some Blockstream stuff, or something else. But then someone makes a comment on my PR, and I got to go fix it. But it's been, I don't know, three weeks since I last looked at it. I got to go remember <laughs> what, what was I last doing here? Uh, what was it supposed to do? What was the reasoning for having this change that is completely uncommented and people <laughs> keep getting hung up on? Should have commented. Um, uh, you know, well, you know, that change was just to shut up a test or something mm-hmm. like that. And yeah. I don't remember the reason for it anymore. <laughs> how do you get How do you get in your flow? Do you have like a, a time of day where you get flow state? Is it a... Um, not really. Although... For some reason, it always ha- happens around 11 p.m. <laughs> so you have a time of day. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I'll just end up being like, you know, most of the day for some reason, you know, I work on some stuff, but like, nothing really like jumps out at me that I really gotta finish. And then somehow at 11 p.m., I always find something that's like, all right, I gotta finish this before I go to bed. And then five hours later, <laughs> um, it's uh, very similar to how I write the bent. I wait till 11 a.m. It's supposed to be out at 9 a.m. And then I'm like, ah, shit. Yeah. Two hours late already. <laughs> Great work ethic. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, I do have a full-time job, too. I am working <laughs> I as have, well. Um, so, so do you have any, like, suggestions if someone is, you know, aspiring to contribute to, to Bitcoin Core? Like, how, how best for them to dive into this? Like, uh, I think the best way is just to, is really to start small and look at, like, simple things that, uh, you yourself want to fix like use bitcoin core yourself and find something that bothers you or something you don't like and try to fix it or change it and see how that goes yeah you got pissed off at uh at hardware wallet support and, and made something pretty big <laughs> yeah <laughs> there have been a bunch of um other i have some other wallet projects i've been working on that are just like i want this to be better and uh <clears throat> learning about how the wallet works so I can change it and make it better. So like, yeah, so if you want to, I think this goes for many open source projects. It's use it yourself, find something you don't like and fix it. Yeah. No, it's uh and uh, you can also go my way, uh, my, the, the way I got into it originally. And that's just hang around where users are and see what they complain about and try to fix it yourself too. Is Bitcoin talk still as lively today as it was when you first got in? It's pretty lively. It's a lot of junk. Mm-hmm. Um, 
since I moderate some of the forums, I do have to log in and like pay attention occasionally, but I haven't really commented there in a while. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, for you freaks that don't know, BitcoinTalk.org was the place, the forum to be back in the day. Yeah. where Satoshi was talking outside of the mailing list. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of historic threads that are really interesting. Yeah, you got the HODL, the HODL meme, Satoshi, you got Hal Finney in 2010 predicting Bitcoin banks. Yeah. Um, you have Dan Larimer getting told off. Uh, you have the epic forum redesign that's always two weeks, uh, yeah. away, two weeks away. How forever. many Bitcoin did Themos raise? Oh, that? man. Or not Themos. Has, uh, was it oh, Themos? There was a beta about a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> What a beta site isn't up anymore um but the software is called epoch talk and it is like actively being worked on if you want to take a look at it uh i and haven't i just feel like that's such a bitcoin thing to do is like you want to re- redesign the forum so you just rewrite a whole new yep. like forum stack instead of like borrowing from other people yeah there there are things that themos wanted to have specifically that that are in Bitcoin Talk because he patched some PHP to make it work, but I guess he wanted it like as a feature itself. Yeah, because PHP is back into a lot of CMSs, right? Yeah, it's also not that great. Yeah, it's uh. There I, have been I had many... a lot of experience with Drupal back in the day. I understand yeah. that it's not great. Bitcoin Talk has has had many um, many modifications to make it more secure. Okay. Uh, I don't remember what they are, but I remember looking at the list. Yeah, because then somebody... It wasn't Bitcoin Talk. It was the GMX email. Somebody, like... That yeah. It expired, um, and Satoshi's username got taken. There have been... Yeah, I think it was the emails that got taken over. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then someone actually... Um, someone actually got Hal Finney's account recently. Well... Really? Uh, on Bitcoin Talk. Well, I say recently. I mean, like, I guess it was nine months ago. <laughs> yeah, um, started posting something, and then it swiftly got locked down and banned. What were they posting? I don't even remember. They're all. Del- it's all deleted. <laughs> they brought me back. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I know that. I know when that happened. Um, Themos or one of the other admins uh, shut it down really quickly. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, that's actually one thing I hope Twitter doesn't do now that they're shutting down all the inactive so Twitter let, accounts. Let people take old names. But they backtracked on that, didn't they? I don't. I, I don't know. I, I think don't. it's. I think it's Europe only. I don't know. Last it was I, Europe only, and then they backtracked. Was my. I don't know. I just. I just hope the running Bitcoin tweet doesn't come down. Well, he's American. So. <laughs> That's a great tweet. Right. I. Uh, yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah. Um. All right, switching topics here. You, I noticed you were talking about coin joins um, uh, yeah. the coin other joins. week too. Let's talk about coin joins. What are your thoughts on them? What are the uh, what are your thoughts on the um, the products that exist that allow people to coin join today? How they could be better? How mm-hmm. they're, or actually more importantly, how they they fall short and how they could be better? Yeah. More importantly, uh, coin talk about coin selection too. Oh, so great. mix that in. There. <laughs> coin coin joins are great. Uh, they're great for privacy. Um, and they're uh, a hard problem to coordinate. <laughs> I haven't really. So the most I've most of coin joins that I've done have been um, manual coin joins, like me, uh, 
find random people to coordinate a coin join together and it ends up being with me or whoever's coordinating it knowing everything which some people uh some people trust me uh i guess um and and so that's not really a problem but like this isn't something that you can do regularly it's kind of annoying it takes a lot of time and there's always there's always that guy that doesn't respond or yeah well that guy just doesn't respond <laughs> um and i know that greg maxwell does does a lot of manual coin joins for so this around you just times. can't scale that that can how do you yeah, it's just not scalable how do you do it like how would you set up a manual <clears throat> coin join uh not with a docs your procedure or anything but it's, well now it i haven't done one in a while but this was before PSBD, by the way. So this is a lot more annoying. You would tell everyone to send send a uh, TXID and V out. Also required them to know what that meant. Uh, and then I would use Core to do create raw transaction, make a transaction. Oh, yeah, they have to send TXID V out, a uh, couple addresses and the amounts that they want to those addresses. <laughs> and then uh, if you're trying to avoid subset sum analysis, you have to say uh, one of these outputs has to be exactly, I don't know, 0.1 Bitcoin. Uh, and then everyone sends it to me and make the transaction. You got to send it back out to everyone else. And then they sign it. And then I have to send it back to me. And, some, and I have to combine them all using some... We have a command for that, I think. Combine raw transaction. Mm-hmm. Merge some all together, and then you can broadcast it. But requires a lot of back and forth. Requires people to know what a TXID and a Vout mean. Uh, requires them to know how to sign a raw transaction, and requires them to also be online all the time. Like, and you have to trust each other. And then they have to trust me to not to dox, dox them all. And yeah. you have to send it through secure channels so that yeah, it and doesn't then, leak out. Then. Uh, you know, they'll PGP encrypt it or use Signal or use like OTR or something, send it to me. And then as very diff, it's really time consuming to do this manually. So like we do have some stuff that does it automatically now, uh, like what Join Market and Wasabi. They mm-hmm. both do coin joins in the background. And Whirlpool, Samurai. Yeah, Samurai. But well, I haven't used them, so I, I don't have much to say about them. I used Join Market back in the day, uh, like the very first few releases, and the user experience was fine. But I don't know how they, what they really did in the background. Yeah, uh, is the I didn't look into that much. Well, the user experience is fine for you. Yeah, but I don't think that's really scalable. Either. <laughs> no. Well, and going back to uh, you creating coin joins with individuals directly yeah is that does something like uh adam get some snicker make that easier because you could just broadcast uh well i haven't read it okay. so i don't know all right um but i know that psbt does make this a bit easier now mm-hmm. uh we introduced a we i introduced a join psbt's command that takes multiple psbt's and makes them into a coin join cool so uh now if you want to do it manually you would say create a PSP, have your wallet create an unsigned PSPT and just send that to me. And then I'll use this command to join them all together. So now it's slightly less, you know, like you don't have to know, uh, you don't have to know how to get your outputs and you don't have to know how to make a change address and all that. Yeah. It's slightly easier, but still 
still a bit time consuming. Well, thank you for that. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on CoinJoin as the, the predominant fungibility solution going forward? Do you think it's sufficient? You think? I think. Well, I mean, confidential transactions would be nice, but it's probably not going to happen. Uh, I think CoinJoin would be sufficient if most, like, not not even most, like the vast majority of people use them. And, but of course, it's always, there's still that problem of how are we coordinating coin joins? And, you know, that's what everyone's been trying to solve. That's how, that's why Wasabi does their Chamian server thing. Join Market does whatever they do. Uh, we've had the pay join idea, but I don't think anyone's really using that. Join that's... Market, the maker, is coordinating, right? So Join Market has makers, but they don't, know everything i think there's some way that they are able to mask uh information so that it's not uh so that one party doesn't necessarily know everything but join market has had vulnerabilities where uh it's possible for people to find out what the inputs or who owns which inputs and they have constant improvements and stuff yeah well you mentioned pay join and that to me seems like the most Makes the most sense, right? Just make every transaction a... a yeah, so PayJoin, I uh, was part of the group that came up with this, which was to... You would do a coin join with the person you're paying. Uh, it's, it's a nice idea, but requires merchants to adopt it, and I'm not confident on, uh, like, say, BitPay. But BTC Pay helps this. here, What right? about BTC Pay? Yeah, BTC Pay. I mean, bit. yeah, it'd be great, uh, and, and I don't know if they do... But yeah, They're BTC Pay it, doing it, yet. and then, but like, a lot of businesses still use Co- uh, Coinbase or BitPay to do their. Not us. Processing. We're BTC Pay loyalists here. Yeah. We're trying to make BTC more Pay people. BTC Pay is like that. new. It's like pretty new. It's I think pretty it's new. A, that's but, why it's a game changer. But, but and it has I'm, no I'm fees. A, the market's oh, yeah, going to choose BTC true. Pay, right? Well, mm, see, I'm a bit of a pessimist, and I think that people are going to go with the easiest thing that they can do, which is Fair. send a URL to BitPay instead of firing up my own server, running a node, and figuring out how to configure this thing. <laughs> I'm a bit of a pessimist. I, I'm going to go with... Well, it's good that you're the easiest. The easiest option is just to have someone else do it. But there's there's so, a middle ground there, right? Where you could have like <laughs> a thousand little bit pays that are all hosting BTC pays, right? Yeah. You know, like a BTC pay as a service. Yeah, and I guess that's And then there's that, like a competitive something. market there, at least. Mm-hmm. They'd be more likely to implement something like PayJoin... Yeah, but even then, uh, because it ends up being a custodial service, yeah, like you need to find someone that's trustworthy, and I, I, I wouldn't consider BitPay trustworthy, <laughs> but like they've been around long enough to show that they haven't really stolen or lost any Bitcoin. That at least not that I know of. Uh, but there was an instance. So they're, in they're Hong kind Kong of trustworthy. That they did recently. Let's. That brings which, which so, incident? There was there was a Hong Kong Kong oh, organization yeah. that had their BitPay account frozen. Oh right yeah. Now. Well, that's a risk you run with any service custodian, like that. Yeah. So that's that actually brings up a good point. Like, what is uh, why are you in Bitcoin? Why do you? How do you? You're pessimistic about users, <laughs> uh, running their own full nodes and ex- accepting, validating their own transactions, incoming transactions. What uh, what are well, you building? No, I'm I'm pessimistic about businesses doing it. Mm-hmm. Because businesses also have bureaucracy and regulations to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, users, 
I'm slightly more optimistic about them running their own full nodes, uh, especially with like people advocating for people to run their own full nodes and stuff. Are we all ma- are we mountain easy. men? Are we all crazy mountain men? Maybe I don't know, uh, but at least like running your own full node is pretty easy as a as a user, and you know it's your money that you're taking care of. But as a business, running your own full node and wallet, well, if you're a public company, you've got shareholders to respond to, and you have regulations to follow. So maybe it's not as easy to run a full node. And you also have to you have user data. You might have to like hold on to this is what we're trying to get away from i say we just tftc if we ever grow into a unicorn (laughs) we're bootstrapping with btc pay and going up and that's actually it's it's that time of the year we're doing our taxes and uh oh shit taxes we uh we are the first year we had the business up so i had to report uh everything we received via btc pay and again the software makes everything really easy like Mm. um and yeah, it is easy to comply. Like, like you can comply. Right. Um, it just takes work. It just does take work. But it, it'll get easier, I think. Uh, yeah, hopefully it'll get easier. <laughs> I'm hoping it'll get easier. But the other thing with pay join is it requires interactivity, right? The the recipient well, any needs coin to join be online. Requires yeah, interactivity. Yeah, pay join requires the recipient to be online. If it's a merchant, I'm they'll be online. It's a you expect them to be online because their website's still up. Um, right, right. Uh, but like, if it's a, another person, they might not be online, or it could just be like a donation address that someone's sending to, then you can't do a pay join for that. Yeah. <clears throat> but like, pay joins a, if wallets implemented it, I think that's a great way for coin joins to really take off more. Yeah. BTC pay, listen. Think, yeah. BTC pay is going to implement it. It's going to be a game changer. Uh, Core will do it eventually. Core will do it eventually? Probably. Maybe. Yeah. I make no promises. (laughs) When I say Core will do it, it will most likely be I will implement it into Core (laughs) at some point after descriptor wallets and hardware wallets. And uh, the other thing I was doing, which was, I don't even remember what it was anymore. Uh, Something with multi-wallet. Yeah, we are lucky, man. What's it? What's it like working at, at the protocol level, like, and, and working on this project? Do you? Um, do you really? I take know, it ti- just feels like normal. I, I'm not sure what normal software engineering should feel like, though. It's just kind of it's work to do. <laughs> like what? What types of projects were you working on before Bitcoin? Uh, Bitcoin was my first major. Well, actually, I think Bitcoin was my first open source project I got into. Uh, because I was in high school and you know not like I was going to do anything else and not like I was looking at anything else yeah you've never known a world without building <laughs> on bitcoin damn yeah, man. that's weird right do you uh I mean I had but like other open source projects that you look at are scary like I don't know have you ever looked at the linux kernel <laughs> that's just oh, that's scary I don't know, who wants to touch that? <laughs> no, uh, you were talking to somebody who's never looked at uh, the linux kernel we just talked about it. I just bought the uh uh, a book that has the Bitcoin first version of the Bitcoin source code in it. Um, mm-hmm. I will I will look through that, but that's about as much code digging as I can do. <laughs> I mean, I've I've read some of the Linux kernel mailing list stuff, and I was like, this is way beyond me. <laughs> it's far scarier. That's you're blowing my mind. You're way younger than me, and you've contributed. I mean, thank you again, like Matt said. Like we're lucky to have you working on this stuff, and. Mm. 
you don't it's just like nothing to you it's crazy <laughs> you're just born into it i fucking love it born into it yeah, yeah. so like what, what like what what is your vi- grand vision of bitcoin in the future like how what do you see in enabling or potentially enabling do you think matt Corallo came in here about a year and a half ago and said bitcoin has a five percent chance of succeeding um uh i don't know i don't think that far ahead no nah, well like <laughs> what what do you how far ahead do you think just about a week <laughs> <laughs> needs needs to be up by next needs to be up uh next week and so, still up next week <laughs> so do you find this more of just like an interesting uh intellectual engineering project or yeah that's that's mostly how i came into bitcoin it was just an interesting interesting to to work on and think about yeah uh as for like where it's going uh that's not something i really consider um i'm just mainly since i'm working on the wallet is just to make it Make it easier to do more things. Uh, make it easier to, like, do more multisigs or more. I guess you could do lightning scripts and HTLCs and core after descriptor wallets. Shit. Uh, just make it do. Uh, let the user have more options. Yeah. No, it's great. I mean, this is the uh, the common uh, the common not verbatim response but paraphrase response again from core developer that you get yeah. like you're inherently uh drawn by the intellectual um from observation intellectual uh challenge and then you really don't think you like f- I, I, focus on the long-term success yeah well, i think some, that's probably yeah that's probably how a lot of the bitcoin core developers got into it anyways and it's just the mindset that keeps you going yeah <laughs> and do you think that yeah do you think that's the exact right mindset to have when approaching this stuff? Um, well, kind of. It's an open source project, and I feel like there shouldn't be that much of a huge grand vision that like, the core project should be pushing for. Yeah. No, that's a very, like, very valid and great point. And so how, as an engineer, like, out looking at us Twitter podcaster oh, crazy bitcoin <laughs> users like what is uh what do you think of the outside world non-engineering world um it mostly boils down boils down to uh lull and then scroll <laughs> <laughs> that's that's about my interaction with twitter it's all noise <laughs> hmm? you think it's all noise a lot of it's noise yeah yeah, yeah most of it is i would agree <laughs> i would contribute to it a lot too Occasionally, someone will say something wrong, and then I go, "Hey, by the way, you're wrong." <laughs> that's that's what it. Twitter's for. Yeah, yeah. Just dunking on people. That's uh, not a dunk. That's a correction. It could be a dunk. It depends on how you word it. What do you What do you do outside of Bitcoin? Uh, I read books and I play video games. That's what, about uh, it. what kind of books do you like? Uh, usually sci-fi. Yeah. I've been reading the Expanse, the Expanse novels. I want to start that. I watched the show. Yeah, I watched the show. I'm like, this is based on a book, so I'm gonna read the books. Yeah. The show is there great. Are, yeah, there are nine books, and I'm on like book four. I fucking love sci-fi. What's your favorite video game right now? Oh man. Um. Recently, well, I, I recently started playing The Witcher, and then, but like, uh, one of my favorite games has been Skyrim. Skyrim. Is that it's just? Is that like the huge? Hours and, like expansive universe. Yeah, so it's an you call it, uh, it's an RPG, and with dragons. 
Do you see... You're, you're talking to somebody who hasn't gamed in like five years. Yeah. I'm big on, I'm big on video games. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, Sats and games, Bitcoin and games, it's going to happen, right? Oh, man. I, don't, I kind of don't want it to. Really? Why not? You don't want to? Mm, okay. Well, this comes from my, uh, the, the gaming part of me of I dislike microtransactions. Fair. And, and what do you dislike about them? The incentivization behind the them? Incentiva- the, the incentives it produces and the um, uh, unfunness of the games it makes. Yeah. I'm not a big gambler either. Like, I don't like gambling. Like, yeah. So, like, having like the lightning network in games or having people paying with sats in games i don't know it that's the whole uh microtransaction thing and but i'm it not be, a whole not a huge fan of that the reason microtransactions in games right now fucking sucks is because it's all built around these like closed systems that are designed to give the publisher like a shit ton of money yeah and and it kind of creates like this pay, play to the pay to win environment a lot of times or or just it's just outright malicious because it's like skins or something like that. Yeah. But if you actually use like real money, like Bitcoin, um, there's some situations there where you can develop like P2P games or something where you kill someone and you get a few sats and they lose a few sats. That seems less, um, it seems like a whole different concept than like our current brew of microtransactions. Yeah. But that also just means I wouldn't want to play it because then I'd be losing money. Unless you kill people, right? If you're good at it, you could, you know, make a living out of it, maybe. Make a living camping, you know, in a (laughs) shooter game or something. (laughs) What do you do for a living? Oh, I just sit by the spawns and Counter-Strike. Well, what what were the... uh... Well, then that that just produces unfun behavior, right? Yeah, exactly. You you need a good game. The game needs to be structured well, right? It can't be a broken game. Uh, I don't... I'm just not a huge fan of the microtransactions in in any game. Like, I I, I I really just want to, you know... I pay once and I get the game and all its content. That's fair. And then I can just grind it for a few hundred hours. <laughs> Do I need to get a system? Am I falling behind? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Very good answer. I want to jump back into. I like. I really want to talk about coin selection. Okay, fine. All right. Coin we selection. Talk about coin selection. What are your thoughts on it? It's, it's fucked right now. It's, it's pretty awful. shitty. Wasabi's got uh, coin a, selection, Electrum, and then that's about it, right? Well, Samurai coin selection does. is a hard problem. Uh, literally, like I think it is. Uh, it's a subset of the uh, subset sum problem or something like. Uh, fuck, what's it called? There's a computer science problem that is very similar to um, coin selection, uh, where you have you have a bag of numbers and you want to choose the correct number, of, like the certain ones of them that meet meet. Meet. <laughs> this happens to me all the time. Don't worry. Meet Literally a certain goal. <laughs> that that meet a certain goal. Like so, in Bitcoin, you're you have a bunch of UTXOs with some value, and you are trying to meet the uh, amount you're trying to send. And this happens to be a hard problem, I believe, like computationally hard, uh, because there are so many possible combinations, and and then you also have to decide what is quote unquote best how do you de- and how do you define best and the two big things are fees and privacy right it's yeah like, so you gotta you have you to balancing? balance privacy fees now and fees in the future right so we have um there are a ton of different different strategies you know you've got your your first in first out or largest output or um uh the bitcoin core thing or the uh branch and bound algorithm 
and tons, tons of other things. But if you consider like largest first, uh, sort them by order, and you just pick the biggest one, this definitely optimizes for lowest fees now, right? Right. You got one input, and it becomes two outputs probably. Mm-hmm. But what does that become in the future? What are your fees going to be in the future? Well, you've taken your biggest output, you've cut in in half, and now you cut that in half again, and you cut in half, and it just goes to dust. Well, you've got a bunch of dust outputs, and if, say, you haven't been receiving that much, but you're sending a lot or something, uh, you've got 50 dust outputs, and now your fee now is humongous. So your coin selection algorithm needs to balance for not just what your fee is going to be now, but what is it going to be in the future? How is how are the UTXOs in your wallet going to change as you use this algorithm? And this is a combination of the coin selection algorithm and maybe wallet UX of warning people, hey, maybe you should consolidate this dust, or is that yeah. something that's untenable? Uh, it, it's a bit of both, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, consolidation hasn't been something I've been thinking that much about. but Because we, ideally you want your selection algorithm to realize like, that it's creating dust or well yeah to not require consolidation okay. but when that's fees hard. go up when fees go up right people yeah are and start that, consolidating yeah and and uh with coin selection you also have to consider well this output might not be dust now but in a couple months if the fee fee rate shoots up to like 100 satoshis per byte that, that might be dust then and that's that something- was we found this out in 2017. What yeah. Did Coinbase have like $3 million worth of dust they couldn't move or something yeah. like that? A lot of people ran into dust problems when the fee rate shot up. So like coin selection has been very difficult to find that balance. Uh, the algorithm that Bitcoin Core uses now, uh, we call Branch Unbound, which was developed by, well, designed by Mark Earhart, also known as Merch. Or, uh. Yeah. He's the main Bitcoin stack exchange. Yes, uh, he's he's mod. the Bitcoin stack exchange um, head honcho. Yes, <laughs> uh, and he wrote uh, his master's thesis designing this algorithm and analyzing it and other ones. So it's actually it's like it's an actual scientific paper, and it's a great read if you want to go learn about coin selection algorithms and how they all suck. Um, <laughs> it's on his website somewhere, uh, and I've dropped the link. The link's actually in the core source code i think uh yeah in our description of branch unbound so branch unbound is um it does an exhaustive search of every possible combination of utxos basically so that's intensive that is uh this is also why this is considered hard it's n factorial right you got n factorial number of possibilities which is which uh if you were to iterate through every single one of them would be literally take forever and so what we did was um so what merch did was basically you design design it as a tree of include this utxo exclude this utxo and like like that uh and by sorting them sorting the utxos we can say if we include this and we're over and we like we're over our we have an upper limit uh because we're trying to do an exact match if we're over our target, we can now ignore everything else that includes this UTXO, which does mean we cut off tons of this tree, which is why it's called branch and bound, mm-hmm. because we're bounding it, uh, which makes the search time way faster. 
So it's basically, I mean. It's kind of a tree. Yeah, I was going to just butcher it like a Merkle tree with a bunch of branches cut off. And yeah. One, one you can consider it like a, kind of like a Boolean tree where every level is whether to include a UTXO at that level, a specific UTXO. So like you start with, do I include the largest one or do I not? Then, yes, I included it. Or, no, I did not include it. Okay, the second largest one. I included the largest one, and am I including the second one, and so on. So it becomes a tree. Mm-hmm. And then you just cut off, you start cutting off the branches where it doesn't make sense to keep including more because you've already gone past your limit. Yeah, so one one input. Yeah, if, if one... Uh, um, I, I can't even try to explain <laughs> that. And yeah. this, this, this requires a whiteboard. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't include privacy at all privacy considerations at all right not at all yeah. you're that just uh, so the privacy up. so the privacy part comes in with if you want to um it's a common you, input heuristic right well the so privacy is when you get to it's the pre-processing step before the coin selection so you get to when you get to the algorithm you just say here's a bunch of numbers basically that's what you tell it right but in your pre-processing you might combine uh you might say we're going to group all of these utxos and treat them like one so this is their number stuck together because they're already linked so it doesn't matter yeah. if you combine them. they're linked or they're the same one uh it's the same address so let's just call it as one when we give it to the coin selection well people shouldn't be reusing addresses anyway yeah you shouldn't but, yeah. but it happens yeah. right and then in core we have a we have a thing now that does that it'll group together uh, this is an option you have to enable, but you have all of your any reused addresses will be grouped together as one, and so the so branch and bound algorithm will think of it as one UTXO. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and the other thing that the one uh, privacy thing that um, branch and bound does work with is a change. So branch and bound is an exact match, which means you don't make change. Ah. Uh. Everything that you do, you you won't make something that's linkable, because uh, it all just goes to the merchant, okay. or fees. There's so many goddamn things to think <laughs> about. Coin selection. Well, like best PSPT. case scenario, there's no fees, but sometimes there's and there's no change, right? But sometimes there's change. Yeah. Obviously. So if, if there it is doesn't change, have a combination. so if branch unbound fails, uh, which happens fairly often because you can't always find a change, uh, no change, solution. Uh, we fall back to whatever Bitcoin Core was using previously, which is some weird loop that does some random shuffling and some something else, and no one can really describe it because it started as one thing and then just got patches slapped on top. <laughs> it's uh, It works decently well, um, but it has this minor problem of not considering dust, or rather, not considering that something is dust. So if you have dust, it'll probably spend it. Yeah. Well, dust is such a hard, right? Because it's so contextual relative to whatever the fee market is yeah. at any given point in time, right? Yeah. So with um, such like a, that's what I, we've had Drew Bensal on in the past who created the concept of hodl waves and mm-hmm. doing chain geology research to see when people are moving UTXs and brought up the concept of a dust holiday. Which intrigued me at first, but you can't really. It's never it, going to happen. Yeah, and miners would, would never no go with There's no game it. theory there. Yeah. 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 So with, um, with branch and bound, it's an exact match with a, with a fuzzy fence. 
Okay. Uh, basically, the idea is that it, this uh, this was one of the main innovations of it, which was instead of we're choosing exactly this value, it's we're choosing this value plus some buffer that we're willing to discard as do, uh, as fee, even though all it'll just boost our fee rate. So you don't get could, the change. Could but be higher. We weren't we aren't going to get the change, and yeah. the idea is that if we make a change, we have the fee that we're going to pay to make it and the fee we have to pay to spend that change in the future. So what if instead of dealing with that fee in the future after we made the change, what if we just consider that as the excess that we are willing to waste? And so that is our buffer. Just how much are we? Well, it's not even a waste. It would be the premium you're willing to pay yeah. to avoid future headaches. I mean, right? it would it would basically be we're going to pay this now or we can we can pay this in the future or we can pay it now. And the benefit is that we won't make a change output. The benefit is privacy. Yeah, you're doing benefit is we get a bit more privacy and uh, you have one less UTXO to deal with. Yeah. And you, and potentially just don't have money that you can't use. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's also, it also ends up being fairly consolidatory. Uh, in the simulations I've ran, it does pretty okay. <laughs> pretty comparable to core in that uh, it keeps the the number of UTXOs in your wallet like kind of down. Core the core wallet does consolidate a lot because it, it'll eat your dust outputs and spend them. Uh which means you're you're losing money. <laughs> but it happens. Um I have a bunch of simulation results that compare all of that compare branch and bound and core and uh, it's interesting to see how how they perform. How long do these simulations track uh, live action? Like, uh... Well, so you remember um, back in 2012, 2013, there was, uh, was Money Pot. There, uh, there, was a, there was a gambling thing called Money Pot. Or, uh, what was that? A long time ago, there was this gambling site called Money Pot. <clears throat> and the guy who ran it published all the uh, deposits and withdrawals. So uh, that became our simulation data. <laughs> At least one chunk of our simulation was data. Was it like Satoshi Dice? I don't even remember what it did. Uh, I just know it was, it was a gambling site ran by Ryan Havar. Okay. And uh, he also ran Bust a bit and they did the same he did the same thing there, published the numbers. So for all of uh, our simulation data uh, some of the simulations I've been using those. Okay. And then the rest of it, I've just been choosing blocks by random in the blockchain and pulling out all their, all the numbers from them. Oh, so you can just use. So Bit it's like it's not even like randomly generated. You it's can like, use Bitcoin's current state. Or... Yeah, it's just like uh, I'm gonna pick that block and go through every transaction and all the outputs they make. Uh, randomly select whether they're gonna be inputs or uh, whether they're gonna be deposits or withdrawals, and. That's those are my numbers. Oh, fascinating! I never thought it would be. It also takes like six hours. I, to I thought you would have had to create like your own, like fake. No, that's too much work. Yeah. <laughs> fascinating. So what? Uh, what are the steps to making this coin join solution? Uh, coin selection. Coin, coin selection. selection. Coin. Yeah, <laughs> coin selection. I'm really glad we brought it, brought back up coin selection. This has been. Yeah, it's been, been fascinating. Great. So you're working on it now testing it out um, um so branch amount has already merged mm -hmm. it's been merged for a long time 
what we're work what I've been working on is replacing the fallback. So we fall back to core when we need to make change. Uh, but in Merch's thesis, he suggested that we use just a simple random selection because apparently just randomly picking outputs does pretty well. Does a better job. Somehow. Uh, core kind of does that, but like with more steps on top. <laughs> um, it's not entirely random. But just if you just randomly select outputs with a bit of uh, bounds on like how small of a change you can make, uh, it does apparently it does pretty well, and the simulations have showed that. The main the main problem has been when we do all of this, we're ignoring our dust outputs, which means that if you compare the numbers direct the simulation numbers directly, we have the mean number of UTXOs, the average number of UTXOs in the wallet, ends up being way higher when we do branch and bound with random selection fallback and that's almost entirely because we don't clean up the dust outputs mm -hmm. that would make sense right yeah like as soon as i modified core to ignore dust outputs and like it's pretty close it still does a little bit a bit better so how, how would core how does it currently identify dust outputs basically there's takes have a function that says is dust and it takes a fee rate <laughs> But the fee rate, like, is there dust rate? The fee rate is what? Like well, Satoshi? Yeah, there is. The like, fee rate is... Like Binance. Was it Binance? <clears throat> or who just consolidated all their Tether, like, 546 yeah. sets? It was Binance. Sets. They yeah, one so... Yeah, yeah. Dust has a really dumb definition. <laughs> this, is, this is a fun one. <laughs> so the original definition of dust was you take the minimum relay fee uh, and the cost it would and so however much uh how many satoshis it would cost to spend an output at the minimum relay fee but one third of that was dust because well, is the theory that you could wait longer because like how long i don't i don't know what what it was what but like originally rate, it was like you know the fee rate was the minimum relay fee which was set by your mempool but it's like on, how many blocks like how many it's not blocks? how many blocks it's just based on what is oh like one sap per byte is one sap per byte usually yeah. but like what is the uh so the minimum relay fee depends on how full your mempool is right, right, right. so as soon as the mempool hits its limit it starts popping up the min relay fee so right. it doesn't accept anymore so transactions once, at once so it's usually one sap per byte uh it'll go up when your mempool hits 300 megabytes mm -hmm. which is freaking huge <laughs> no one really it's bigger I don't than think the chain state happened, right actually. or no what the megabytes megabytes gigabyte, yeah. gigabytes Megabyte. I was thinking in gigabytes, my bad. The, um, so the min relay fee is one. The calculation was something like the fee to spend the output uh, but one-third of that or something. Or maybe it was three times. There was a three somewhere in there. Uh, eventually, we got rid of this definition and replaced it with we created a dust relay fee, a separate variable, uh, anything, and it was just at that dust relay fee, the cost to spend the, the that output. And that was the dust value for it. And that dust relay fee to make it compatible with the original definition was, uh, is three sats per byte. So it makes the calculation so much easier. <laughs> yeah. So the original way was screwed that you could have like millisats being dust or? Depending on what your relay fee was. Or, or, uh, or things. I mean, like you can still have millisats. It's, yeah. it was like, 
I mean, the, the, the number boiled down to 546 sats. Yeah. Um, but the, and same with the new dust relay fee, but it's a, it's a straightforward calculation now. So when we do our coin selection, we just use the dust relay fee to determine if something is dust. And then we might change the fee rate. Um, like what if the fee rate dust relay fee, I think will also change depending on mempool. I'm not sure. Uh, but like for our coin selection stuff, we have a long-term fee rate, Okay. which is like the, thousand eight block <laughs> prediction <laughs> which uh, is always one sapper bite anyways i mean are you, I've, I've seen it change like once are you worried about the fee fee uh fee market developing at all do you think about that not really yeah i mean i'll think about it when i do my coin selection stuff and i'm like uh well you can't really avoid it so yeah oh well so like right now if you want to do coin selection with privacy in mind you have to just manually coin select yeah, pretty much. Uh, no one really considers that much of privacy, I, th- I guess, with the coin selection. That maybe Wasabi does, because that's their point. No, Wasabi, Wasabi, just, Wasabi just forces just on joints. the user. But it forces on the user, gives you manual coin selection, and you have to decide. Oh. Samurai's plan is they're trying to do like a... Where they almost do like a localized chain analysis to try and determine what links are between the different UTXOs hmm. and, and select accordingly. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. But like it's I've, a super hard problem. As a so. user, yeah. as a user, I personally like being forced to coin select. Like I like that Wasabi forces so, you to label and select. I'm actually fairly wary of user coin selection. Why? Because users will optimize for the wrong thing. Why I do think. you say that? Um users will probably optimize for minimum fee. That's not what I've been optimizing for. Well, you're not a normal user. I'm a user. <laughs> a lot of a lot of people will just optimize for the minimum fee, right? Right. What do you think? Do you consider your change? How large your change Especially is? Especially when fees go up. Yeah. People Especially get greedy really quick. Yeah. So, but do you consider when you do your coin selection? Do you consider change? Like, how big is your change output going to be? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Are you scolding me right now? Not really. Um. <laughs> But coin selection, changing coin selection has an impact on the UTXO set uh, in general. Like, uh, this Merch's first PR and maybe only PR to core was changing coin selection, and it got reverted because if you looked at the UTXO set, there was a humongous spike when that version of core got released. And because cause it was just creating more change. It was, making, it was making more dust. Mm-hmm. It was reducing... It was something something like you had way overshot the target. So let's, and we had, we overshot it because we had included a bunch of extra UTXOs that were not needed at all. So remove those. So the change would be really, get smaller. And sometimes it would just be too small and be basically dust. Um, This was in the 0.12 release uh, where the, in the 0.12 release, if you look at the time it was released and you look at, the UTXO set size on like Statoshi, you will see that there's a pretty big spike. And and that that means that it puts an additional burden on all everyone who runs a full yeah, node. Yeah, it, it burdens everyone who runs node. Uh yeah. So if if every user did manual coin selection, 
I think that they would optimize for the wrong thing and could cause a huge increase in UTXO growth. A bloat. Yeah. Yeah. But then fees would probably rise and then it should calibrate. Mm, eh, That's the idea. It might consolidate. It might consolidate, but it might also just yeah. Like people might consolidate, but they might just see it's dust and can't do anything with it right, right. at that fee rate. Yeah. So, how? Uh, yeah. What are your What are your your thoughts on the current uh, chain state and its growth? Um, um, it's think, pretty big. You think it's too big? Uh, I think we're pacing well. I think it's it's a bit larger than I would like it to be, but I think everyone thinks that. Uh, We've had a lot of performance improvements that make the sync time about the same. So, um, you know, if the chain grows 20% larger, but you've done a performance improvement of 20%, well, the time to sync hasn't changed. (laughs) And that's been happening a lot for the past few releases. Time hasn't really gone up. But I don't think we can keep, keep that up. Do things like assume UTXO appeal to you? Assume UTXO is very useful yeah um for a f- fast sync uh i think doing utxo set commitments and assuming uh yeah i think that'd be good like there's a pr for that right yes yeah yeah and then uh what was the other thing i was gonna say oh uh it doesn't really bother me because i don't sync a node that often my node is always synced because mm-hmm. it's never off <laughs> But for, for new users, uh, having a faster sync like you assume UTXO is, I think it's fine. Yeah, it makes sense to me as long as you're validating in the background, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I like the idea of having it, uh, you know, here's the, we're going to start here, but download everything from history so that we can check what uh, what we started with. Yeah, you can bury the checkpoints deep, right? Yeah. Not checkpoints, that's a bad word. Not, Not checkpoints. you're verifying it anyway. Yeah. yeah. And I, th- I think Assume UTXO would be similar to what we do for Assume Valid, which is like, yes. it's not part of consensus. It'll just be an extra thing that you can turn on. Yeah. And that's packaged with the software. You can use PGB, PGP key, PGP. See, I'm telling you it's happening right now. <laughs> you can use the keys and yeah. webs of trust too. Yeah. To help cross-verify and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but trust yeah that's true (laughs) good point um but are there any efficiencies outside of like assume utxos that you see helping to reduce chain load like with schnorr signatures obviously Uh, be huge for this or i don't think i don't think schnorr signatures will no change much because we don't have like signature aggregation yet i mean it'll be smaller uh blockchain won't grow as quickly i guess with um with taproot and short signatures uh but that doesn't that doesn't really help what is current like the current state it won't change it won't improve anything that already exists mm-hmm. it'll just make it better for the future yeah and so that's a process so over so like i i think the main problem is making what do we have now go by faster uh rather than in ibd yeah, in IBD. Okay. Uh, like, we've had a ton of performance improvements. Um, recent ones I've been seeing have been, like, changing around data structures that are to ones that are faster and more efficient, uh, which help. So. What is uh, the one thing Gleb and Peter are working on? Is it Erlay or? Erlay. Erlay, yeah. That would help 
considerably with bandwidth, correct? Um, early. Or is early the... Early is for transaction relay, not for IBD. So it wouldn't... Okay. It wouldn't... It wouldn't change anything. It's for nodes that are already fully fully downloaded. I believe so, yes. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, we got bit devs to get to soon. Oh, yeah. A couple hours. Yeah, it's a few hours. <laughs> um, is there any, any other pressing uh, Bitcoin topics that you want to talk about? You want to talk about hardware wallets? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. What are your thoughts on hardware wallets? What uh, Do you have a particular favorite? Uh, uh, they're all great and they all suck. <laughs> Simultaneously. <laughs> what do you mean by this? Um, as a user, they're great. As a developer, holy crap. <laughs> they're all... Everyone does the same thing but slightly differently, which makes my job working on HWI much harder. Um like you know they all take a transaction they all sign it well how are you giving it that transaction uh trezor takes it in their own uh they use protobuf and you have to pack the transaction into a protobuf thing and you send it but that only works on trezor ledger has its own magic that i haven't looked at because uh that was implemented by greg sanders what's i don't know what the magic is <laughs> do, you, do you have a personal uh I like the cold card. Okay. Because it's the easiest. <laughs> We're big cold card fans on the it's, podcast. It's um and I I like how they used uh, PSPT with it too because like yeah, the uh when they with the PSPT stuff on the cold card you just there's just a a thing that option. says upload PSPT or just the upload file. Uh and that's all I have to do for the implementation in HWI. It's just upload a PSPT. I don't even have to. I don't even have to deserialize the thing. <laughs> just well, pass it to it. This is I, I created and sent my first PSBT last week with mm-hmm. Wasabi and uh, Coldcard, and it was mm-hmm. extremely easy. It was. I mean, luckily we have Matt here leading the Citadel workshop uh, <laughs> to teach me. I did it on Testnet a couple months ago, but mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago I took it upon myself to do it on the mainnet, and it was extremely uh, easy, and it was a fun experience. Like, yeah. Moving the SD card from your air-gapped wallet to uh, your computer and then dropping mm-hmm. the, the transaction and broadcasting it from Wasabi. It was like, yeah. wow. It was like another aha moment for me. Like I, Probably the biggest aha moment I've had since I first recovered Bitcoin from a seed phrase. <laughs> Seriously. Mm. Yeah, I like, I like the cold card. I liked the ledger for a while until I found out how they install apps and update firmware. Um, and then they like the, the other major players. Ledger Trezor, likes Trezor. Trezor's meh. Trezor has a Trezor has limitations on what you can do. Um, like they might add PSBT soon. They yeah. have a SD card slot on the. On the Trezor T. What, yeah. ab- what about uh, solutions like Justin Moon's BitBoy making your own hardware wallet from uh, generalized hardware? Because um, I saw he did, that was PSBT compatible too. Yeah, I too. think that's, that's an, it's an interesting project to do that. Uh, but I'm not quite sure what, what it's trying to solve, <laughs> what problem it's trying to solve. Yeah. Like, Disguising. I guess it's maybe may a bit of a, maybe it's some of the trust stuff. It's like supply chain, supply right? Chain. And you yeah. mix supply it into chain. a multi-sig setup, so then some of the trade-offs that you get for like not having a secure element or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can have... Um, like, also- I mean, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be 
and okay, same with Trezor. I wouldn't be convinced that it prevent uh, protect against someone stealing the device. Yeah, it would. Yeah, uh, but like, well, BitBoy was stateless. Is it? Yeah, oh. intentionally. Okay. Yeah, but like, uh, Trezor. I wouldn't be. I'm not convinced that it would protect against someone stealing it. Uh, it definitely Ledger, won't. It definitely won't. Yeah, no. <laughs> Ledger, Ledger. I'm more convinced that it will. It'll be fine if someone steals it. But then you have different supply chain. But then trade-offs. you have like, you have the ledger trade-offs. Yeah. Um, and and the ledger, the issues that ledgers have, uh, cold card, same thing. But I haven't looked at their hardware that closely. So do you have a, do you have like an ideal vision of what a hardware wallet should be and should do in your mind or? Um, not really. I guess. I'm thinking the hardware wallet I want is a cold card in the form factor of a ledger. <laughs> That's about it. You don't like the calculator? I don't like the calculator. I dig the calculator. You just want to be a USB stick? I think it's too big. Really? Yeah. I thought it was going to be so much bigger before I got one. Mm. Like in the pictures, it looks way bigger. So yeah. I've always considered it really small because it beat my expectations. Oh, okay. I, maybe it's just because I was used to using ledger uh, at that time. Yeah. Um, I mean, the ledger's tiny. Yeah, the ledger's really small. That's why I like it. Yeah. Uh, the. I I like the cold card. I guess. Um, also, cold card does not have shit coins. <laughs> Definitely. That's an advantage. the. That's the. That's one of the better parts of it, <laughs> or one of the best parts of it. I think. What are your thoughts they, on uh, shit coins? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, uh, especially in, in HWI, uh, we've had, I've had so many problems trying to get. Uh, firmware built for the devices for testing um, and they all get hung up on like shit coins <laughs> like my build will stall on like something something ethereum I'm like I don't care why are you building it just adds more complexity just, yeah this makes it more annoying to deal with well, looks like Trezor is realizing that right and they're offering a bitcoin only product yeah. now and I think I need to fix HWI to build the bitcoin only firmware <laughs> for that because I never got around to it and we um for our testing setup okay yeah all right. so they all thankfully now they all have a simulator uh you start a simulator and then you can do all the same things to it but it's just over a different interface and that's how we test hwi uh but the simulator needs to be built from source basically okay um oh, fuck what the hell was i just gonna go into i have something uh um, all right go for it i'm gonna remember what i was saying um would you agree that if people are expecting Schnorr in 2020, they're going to be disappointed? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, it's some, people I'm, were throwing thinking, that around today. I'm yeah. thinking that Schnorr, <coughs> it's it's just because of like what everyone has, what Schnorr by itself is capable, like the uh, signature aggregation stuff and all that stuff that people thought it would do are just not going to be there. Right, because for the original they're not done yet. implementation. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's like, requires other changes, requires large changes, or it's just not, it's not done, or we're not confident in its safety. But even base snore, we probably won't even Base snore, I think, well, it's just going to be underwhelming. It's just... <laughs> so we might get in 2020, but it's going to be underwhelming. When we get it. <coughs> yeah. Uh, I know this is past your week outlook, so... <laughs> it's a little bit past it. Andrew, I think are you... we might get it in 2020. By the end of the year, like the second week I of think, December, are you going to prove? I, I, I'm, I, I would put a, a less than fifty percent chance on December thirty first. 
<laughs> um, I dig it. The BIP number is coming soon, I think. Are you going to propose the activation uh, process? No. Everyone's too scared <laughs> to propose the activation process. No, no, you can't propose activation until the, the details have been proposed. You got to wait for Peter to propose, like, BIP Schnorr, BIP Taproot first. Like, get get the number assigned, then we can right. go deal with activation. Yeah, so right, right. BIP Taproot in its current form is just a warm-up until it gets a number. Um, it's just a draft. Just a draft, okay. Which means it can change at any moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you should definitely not implement anything based on it. Yeah, and then, because Alex Leishman was telling me that the Taproot review found some versioning problems or something like that. Yeah, the Taproot review has, Taproot Review Club has been finding, coming up, uh, finding some questions and issues that should be answered or things that should be changed. I haven't really, I haven't participated in them, so I'm not up, uh, up to date on the details. But I know, like, it's actively being, the BIP's actively being changed yeah. uh, based on comments from review. Yeah. Which is good. It means that people care. Yeah. No, it was actually interesting to see how this review process came to be. Like mm-hmm. AJ Towns did the bull by his horns. Bull mm-hmm. by its horns, uh, it seems. And uh, yeah, a I'm lot, tech. what was it, like 215 people signed up? I don't know how many people oh, so participated. Many people signed up, apparently. Yeah. I, I thought about signing up, but I was feeling lazy. And I didn't know. <laughs> I what didn't the? want to. I hey, want to review more things. No more laziness, Andrew. <laughs> you haven't done enough yet. Oh. <laughs> You're young. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I You're kid. Not working nights and weekends in uh, your twenties. <laughs> You're not going to be successful. Mm. Yeah. You always got to be working. You always got to be working for those dev incentives, man. What are the dev incentives? What drives you to work on this? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this has been fascinating. Yeah. Thank you for responding to my DM. Thanks for reaching out. <laughs> oh, nice. it's been it's been interesting. Yeah, it always is. It always is. Matt, do you have any uh, anything you want to end on in particular? I'm just really thank you for everything you do. And I'm just really glad I got to be a part of this conversation, and I'm really glad we jumped back into coin selection. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. And Andrew, do you have a parting note for the freaks out there? Uh, no. You should follow me on Twitter, but I don't. Tweet anything, so maybe you shouldn't <laughs> follow him on Twitch. He, he, he you pops can follow up. me on Twitch, and I won't stream for another. Your last stream was December fifth. I checked. Couple weeks, yeah, December fifth. That was a uh, that was a month ago. I will, okay. I thought about streaming yesterday, but it was only a thought. All right, we need to turn those thoughts into action moving <laughs> forward. I thought the Twitch thing was super cool. That's how I discovered you mm. was the Twitch streaming. I, I've yeah I got that feedback a lot that people like it yeah. but it's hard to uh, stream when you have nothing to stream well twitch is a big audience to inundate with Bitcoin information so mm. you're doing your part yeah when you do show up what's your let's show your Twitter account how are they gonna uh, follow you at all a- of my social stuff is how 101 literally everywhere online including in games so if you run into me in a game you can say hi and I'll try to destroy you. That's <laughs> <laughs> yes. the perfect place to end it. Andrew, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Peace and love, freaks. <laughs>